Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 4, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And we know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? So, so he said, Say not in your heart, Sin, Say not ye that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. But behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look in the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now is the time of salvation. This is the day of salvation. The time is now. And he that reapeth, receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So winning souls is wise, and even in our giving, it is to the end that the house of God might be established, that the work of the Lord would go forth, that the lost would be reached, that the poor would receive ministry, and that the glory of the Lord would be revealed. At the end of the day, the whole earth is to be covered with the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of our God as water covered the sea. Amen? Amen. So we must also, in our giving, see the bigger picture. See that in our sowing, there is a connection between our sowing and the harvest as well. Amen? Hallelujah. I just thought I wanted to, to mention that. So Jesus said, um, concerning that, In um, Matthews 23 and 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and ince and cumin, and you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the other undone. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying you ought to tithe, but you do not tithe and forget judgment, mercy, and faith. In other words, you are to tithe in judgment. Tithe because it's right. But tied also in mercy, recognizing those that are lost that need to be reached. Recognizing the poor that may not be able to give anything to you, but nevertheless, we still need to reach out to them. Amen? For he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Hallelujah. And that we also need to tie in faith. We tie because we love God. We tie because it's right. We give out of the fear of the Lord and reverence for God and the desire to honor God. But we also highly magnify his word which declares that whatever man sow that shall he also reap. We magnify the word that says cast your bread upon the water and it shall come back to you after many days. We understand the principles that whenever you sow that when a farmer puts a seed in the ground it is reasonable that he ought to expect a harvest. So our giving is in mercy it is in righteousness, it is in love but it is also in faith where because of the word of God and the promises of God, we also expect a return. We expect that it will come back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And my God shall supply all of your need and all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you need an envelope for your giving, and this indicate by raising your hands, and, and you can give. And those online... You are invited to participate and 
and, and um, get to the work of the Lord in Jesus' name. If you have a phone app, you can use that to give as well, which I'm going to do right now. Hallelujah.
Father, we thank you. Let's stand. Father, we bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We magnify your name. We adore you. We adore you this morning. We thank you that we are part of the kingdom. We thank you that you have saved us. You have forgiven us. You have washed us by your blood. And you have made us your heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are your children. You have placed your spirit within us, crying out, Abba, Father. We are no longer children of the bond woman, but we are the children of the living God. Oh, Father, we bless you. We praise you. We do not have a spirit of bondage again to fear, but it is a spirit of adoption within us, crying out, Abba, Father. And we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth, that takes the things of Christ and unveil them unto us, reveals them unto us, teaches us, and we bless and praise and worship you as we open up our hearts right now to receive your word, both here and online. Lord, let your word prosper in the lives and in the hearts of your people in the name of Jesus and bring forth a harvest of righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's have a seat. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. We are the redeemed of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 9. This morning I'm going to talk on, the, I'll teach on this subject. Keys for personal and church growth. Amen? In other words, it has a personal application to our lives. And I believe it has an application to us as a church, in terms of our own growth and the growth of the church. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. They were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, and were multiplied. The Amplified says, so the church throughout the whole of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Peace is a good thing. And was edified, growing in wisdom, virtue, and piety, and walking in the respect and reverential fear of the Lord and in the consolation and exhortation of the Holy Spirit continued to increase and multiply. On a personal level, we want to be continually increasing, multiplying, being edified, maturing, growing up, and so on. We want that to be happening on a personal level, but I believe we also, I believe the will of God is that it might happen on, on a church level. 
as well. Amen? Even to the point that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water cover the sea. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So that's where I'm going today. This issue about walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost and the result being edification, increase, multiplication. I want us to examine that. Amen? And hear it both from the perspective of on a personal level as well as, on the, uh, uh, as, as for the church, the body of Christ. Now, I remember back in 2000 and... Um, was it 2013? Or 2000, 2013, 2000, 2015, I think it was. Um, we a situation that happened, and I've shared this before, um, but a situation that happened, and I was, we were driving down the Redis Creek, coming to church, and I heard the Lord say to me uh, about a particular thing I was kind of rejoicing over, and then the Lord said to me at the time, um, that there is a place where we can live where there are prayers that are answered that you didn't even pray. Where there are needs that are met that you didn't even talk to him about. Because at that time there was a situation that got fixed and got corrected and I had not even prayed about it. And I was really impressed by that. I was blessed by that. And so and so, as I was rejoicing over that, the Lord said to me, there's a place where we can live where there are things we don't even have to pray about, they'll just take place. So, um, and I, 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 I think about that in the context of this message. There's a place where we can live, where things will just happen, where positive things will take place, where increase, where multiplication will take place, where needs will be met. Is it possible? Is there such a place? Is, is it possible that we can live in such a place? Does it even exist? Well, the Bible tells us that in Mark, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, that if you can believe, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So it must be possible. In Matthew 19, 26, it says, with God, or with men, some things might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I believe that when we believe, we put ourselves with God. And once we are with God, then all things become possible unto us because all things are possible to them that believe, and them that are believed are with God, and with God all things are possible. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. And then we have a scripture like Luke 1, 37, where it says that um, no word of God will be without fulfillment. And in actual, that's um, in the original King James, it sounds differently. In the original King James, Luke 1, 37, it says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And then the Amplified says, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. So the word of God has within itself the life and the power and the spirit to bring itself to pass. The word is spirit and life. Amen? And it's like the seed is in itself. What the word what the word needs to become when it's fully grown is within the word itself. So there is no word of God that's without power. So if we can find out some word of God that more or less promises, that reveals needs being met, even without being prayed about, then it would tell me that that very word can produce that. Amen? 
All I'm trying to do right now is to find out, is it possible? Proverbs 16 verse 7 says that when a man weighs, please the Lord, God said he will make his enemy to be, a, to be at peace with him. Well, those weapons formed against you are enemies. Poverty and lack is an enemy. Sickness and disease is an enemy. Confusion and, and all these things, they are enemies. So he says that when a man weighs, if we can operate in those ways that please the Lord, God says he will make his, our enemies to be at peace with us. The God of all peace will bruise Satan underneath our feet shortly, it says in another place. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. So faith pleases God, believing that God is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen? So there is a place in faith, by faith, whereby you can please God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 8, it says, um, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God, because they that are in the flesh are not in faith. But they that are in the spirit can please God. God seeks such to worship him. Them that will worship him in spirit and in truth. They that are in the spirit. They that are operating in the mind of the Holy Spirit. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To have the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and it is peace. Amen. So there is a place operating in the spirit operating in faith that pleases God. And he says, if your ways please me, I'll make your enemies to be at peace with you. So is it possible that we can live in this place where increase, where multiplication, where continually being edified and being built up, where our needs can be met? Is it possible? Does this place exist? I believe it does. I believe in, Mark, in, in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus was, was teaching, and he, and, and he was teaching first of all in the Lord's Prayer, and he had said, look, he said, you know, don't, don't, don't chase after these things. Those things that the Gentiles seek. And the Father knows that you have need of these. But so don't, don't be occupied with that. He didn't say that they didn't matter. He didn't say you shouldn't believe for them. He said, what he did say is, is that your Father has, knows that you have need of those things. But don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Don't, 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 don't spend your time in there. But this is what you do. And in Matthew 6, 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. Seek first operating in that righteousness and in that oneness. Seek first operating in that peace. Seek first operating in that joy in the Holy Ghost. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, these things will be that I told you not to even pray about, they're just going to be added on to you. That scripture in and of itself says, you can get these things added, not by pursuing them, but by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Functioning in oneness with him. Functioning in the authority that you have as a child of God. Functioning in that place where you have right standing, where the blood has been shed, and you've been delivered and set free from shame and guilt and insecurity and inferiority. Amen? Functioning in that place of righteousness where you have authority over the enemy. Hallelujah. And then there is Romans chapter 5 verse 17 which says, If by one man offense death reigned by one, much more, much more, they will receive 
abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, they shall also reign in life by they shall also reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Receive the abundance of grace, receive the gift of righteousness, and you can reign in this life as a king by one Jesus Christ. In other words, you can reign receiving abundance of grace, receiving the gift of righteousness. You can reign by virtue of what Jesus has done, by virtue of the sacrifice of Christ. So that tells us again, because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can receive abundance of grace, we can receive the gift of righteousness, and we can reign. We can live in a place of victory. Psalms 84 verse 11 says that, um, says, um, the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. And it goes on to say, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Well, what does walking uprightly mean? Well, to walk uprightly is to walk upright, is to walk as the righteous, is to walk as the one who's been justified as this sin has never been. In, in, in um, Galatians 2 verse 14, when Peter was not, when Peter was being somewhat hypocritical, Paul, Paul said concerning Peter that he was not walking uprightly in the gospel. So to walk upright is to walk upright in the gospel. Walk upright and correctly and accurately in the reality of Christ in you. Because the gospel is about Christ living on the inside of you. So what is all of this saying? All of these, what are all these scriptures saying that I'm quoting? Having to do with the fact that yes, it is possible. Well, what it is after, if, if, when we examine it, it is saying then that this walking Walking in this, there's a place in which we can walk by which these things will be added on to us, where we'll be able to mature, where we will continue to be edified, where increase and multiplication is possible. And when we break down those scriptures, we will see that it's talking about walking upright in the gospel, walking upright and in the reality and in that identification that Christ is in you. It's talking about walking upright, it's walking in the abundance of grace. The riches of God at Christ's expense. Not trusting your own ability. Not trusting your own works. But trusting what Jesus has finished. The goodness of God. The mercy of God. How gracious he is. It's talking about walking in righteousness. Which is a gift. Not of works as any man should boast. The Bible says Jesus was made to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness. Which is of God by faith. The righteousness of God in Christ. It is a gift. It is a gift so that we are right with God. It is a gift and out of that righteousness, we have authority over the enemy. Out of that righteousness, we are able to exercise authority and bind and loosen. Out of that righteousness, because of the blood of Jesus it, that has been applied to our lives, we are in right standing with God, free from insecurity, inferiority, um, guilt and shame. And we've been raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We come into oneness with him. So it's walking in the reality of that oneness. It's appropriating the sacrifice of Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Christ in me. That is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? And in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, he says, the preaching of the cross 
To us, it is the power of God. So the preaching of the cross and the gospel and Christ in you and the sacrifice are all one and the same. Amen? Because of the sacrifice, Christ is in you. And, and sometimes we talk about the sacrifice in talking about the cross. Amen? My confidence is not in, is not in my confidence. I will not glory in men. I will not glory in this or that or whatever. Else, but I will glory in the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I unto the world. Hallelujah. The Bible speaks in Philippians about those that have, that have been ashamed of the cross. So it is walking in the sacrifice of Christ. You know, in fact, I, I, I saw this, I thought this was very interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. In Christ. Now hold that thought. God always causes us to triumph in Christ. Well, the fact that he always causes us to triumph in Christ, that's a place of victory, isn't it? But it says in Christ. But 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So one says, always triumph in Christ. The next one says, victory through Christ. And if I think about that, what is that? Well, well, when you understand the fact that he's given us the victory through Christ, means he's given us the victory by virtue of what Jesus has done. And what has Jesus done? The sacrifice. Is that right? So he's given us victory, and that victory comes through what Jesus has done. But I know it says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 that we have, he always calls us to triumph in Christ. So he always calls us to triumph as we abide in the sacrifice. So we have victory by virtue of the sacrifice, through the sacrifice, and he's also saying live in this identification in Christ, in the sacrifice, which is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 says, where Paul says, I may have all these things happening. Let me flip over there for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this here. Reading from verse, verse 7. In verse 7, Paul says, we've got this treasure in earthen vessels. And he's talking about Christ, in him the hope of glory. And then he says, but we are troubled on every side. Trouble comes. But I'm not distressed. We are perplexed. But not in despair. Persecuted. But not forsaken. Cast down. But not destroyed. So trouble. Perplexed. Persecuted. Cast down. But not distressed. Not in despair. Not forsaken. Not destroyed. But the other stuff is trouble. He says, always, how do you do it, Paul? Well, look at what these verses here, verse 7, verse 8 and 9, talking about the trouble, but not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. It is trapped between verse 7, which says, we've got Christ in us. We've got this treasure in earthen vessels, and verse 10, which says, how it is that we do it. How it is that in the midst of persecution... We are not forsaken. In the midst of being cast down, we are not being destroyed. How is it? Verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. And then the next verse says, in our mortal flesh. In other words, it's Christ in you. 
And it is always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always living in this identification of being crucified with Christ, raised up together with Christ, seated together with Christ at the Father's right hand. Right? The old man being buried with him, being washed by the blood of Jesus, having authority in the name of Jesus, having the life of Christ in you, and having these great and precious promises by which we are able to partake of his divine nature. Always being about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Always living in that identification of the sacrifice of Christ. That is why 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, Thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ, in the sacrifice. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 57 says, Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through the sacrifice. Can you see that? That is so very, very vital. So this, so all of this that we're talking about that, that makes the point that yes, it is possible, it's talking about the fact that we're walking upright in the gospel. We're walking in the abundance of grace. We are walking in righteousness. We are appropriating the sacrifice of Christ. We are walking in faith, which works by love. So we're walking in love, and we are walking in the spirit. But now, you know, all of those things together... What are they basically saying? They are basically saying we are walking in the new covenant. The gospel, Christ in you is the new covenant. The abundance of grace is about the new covenant. Jesus be made sin and we be made the righteousness of God is about the new covenant. The sacrifice of Christ is the very reason for the new covenant. Amen? The love of God that is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, they didn't have that under the old covenant. Walking in the Spirit. Those that will worship him in spirit and in truth, right, is the new covenant. So we could summarize all of that and say, hey, walk in the new covenant. And if you would walk in the new covenant, there'll be absolute, total victory. All of the above, all of it is about in. And, and, and then here's the thing. All of this other stuff is not a, it's walking in the new covenant. It's walking in the spirit. And all of this wonderful stuff, all of it. All of the treasure, abundance of grace, the sacrifice of Christ, the righteousness, the life of God, all of that is in your born-again spirit. That means what? You've got the victory. Whatsoever, whosoever is born of God, overcometh the world. But this is the victory that will cause that, cause that to be made manifest, even our faith, 1 John 5, 4. But say, I got it. So all of that is in your spirit. Now, if all of that is in my spirit and all of that adds up to total victory, then the thing means, it means then that if I could just get this out of my spirit and flow in my life, then I'm going to have victory. Then it becomes possible to me. Amen? And to that end, we have Philippians 2 verse 12 where, 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 where the Spirit of God says through the Apostle Paul, not in my absence only, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out that life of Christ in you. Work out that abundance of grace. Work out that, that righteousness. Work out that faith. Work out that love. Work out these treasures. Walk in the Spirit. Draw these things out. How? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the fear of the Lord. So it literally, it summarizes the whole lot of it with the fear of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, 
puts it this way. It says, seeing that you have, Hebrews 12, 28, because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that is so solid, that is so firm, that cannot be shaken, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. You've got this kingdom of God that is within you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. That is so great, that is so firm, that is so firm, that is so stable, that cannot be shaken. This kingdom of God that ruled it over all. That being the case, let us serve God. Let us have grace and serve God with the fear of the Lord, with reverence. So it comes down to the issue of the fear of the Lord in terms of drawing this life out. Deep reverence. Reverence for God. Amen? Now what is the original scripture? What, is the, what are we talking about here? We are talking about they were edified as they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost and increase and multiplication was the result. Amen? So if we are looking for the edification, if we are looking for the increase and the multiplication, then we must also make sure and, and take a look at walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. Now when we talk about the fear of the Lord, what are we talking about? We're talking about a reverence for God. We're talking about respecting God. We're talking about honoring God. We're even talking about sanctification, which is a separation unto God, where it's God and God only, where he is so dominant in our lives. Amen? All right. Isaiah chapter 8. Now, a few weeks back, we were teaching, maybe about a month ago, we were teaching about the fear of the Lord. All right. King James. Isaiah 8, verse 13 and 14 says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear. Let him be your dread, and he shall be for a sanctuary. To you. Amen. Now the Amplified says. The Lord of hosts. Regard him as holy. And honor his holy name. By regarding him. As your only hope. Of safety. And let him. Be your fear. Let him be your dread. Lest you offend him. By your fear of man. And distrust of him. In other words, don't there, let there be any kind of divided loyalty. Let your confidence be in him, not in the arm of flesh, not in man, not in, not in yourself, not in human beings. But let your confidence be in him. Trust him. Lean heavily on him. Rely on him. Set him apart. Let it be him and him only. Sanctify the Lord of hosts in your heart. So he says that when you do that, he shall be a sanctuary, a sacred and an indestructible asylum to those who reverently fear and trust in him. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about. And they walk in the fear of the Lord. They walk with this deep reverence and honor of God. And they were so separated. They were looking to him. They were not looking to Caesar. They were not looking... <laughs> they were not looking to Nice and Sapphira. They were not look. They were looking to the Lord. They were trusting Him, and you got to understand the depth and the strength of that trust and that reverence and that magnifying of God to the point where many of them were were were, were allowed, uh, let themselves be crucified, let themselves 
um, be beheaded, let themselves be um, suffer, be thrown in jail because of such a reverence for him. Now we are in a day where it, it is so easy for us to, to compromise. And that zeal, that fervency, that fear of the Lord is not there like in, 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 that, in, in that measure. And I'm, and I'm seeing that it needs to be. Amen? The Bible says in Psalms 93 and verse, and verse 5 that, that we are the house of God. Isn't that right? But it says holiness, be, holiness becometh his house. In other words, it is appropriate, it is right um, for, the, for his house to be holy, for his house to be his house. Right, that's in Psalm that, that 93 verse 5. For his house to be separated unto him. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, Without that holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Which means he's not going to be able to experience God like he should. Right? Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus declared to be the Son of God with power. Uh, we declared to be the Son of God with power. Let me read it correctly. By whom we have... Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The fear of the Lord. Holiness. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Slip over there for a moment. I believe there is a comprehension of the fear of the Lord. But I also believe there is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Amen? And I think we need both. We need a comprehension so that we can, we can make wise decisions. Amen? With a renewed mind. And we, and, and, but we also need the spirit of the fear of the Lord that we would just naturally flow a certain way and have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And not quench Him, not grieve Him but flow with him. Amen? Mm -hmm. So that it is from our heart and not just our head. 2 mm -hmm. Corinthians 6 and verse 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion had light with darkness, and what concord had Christ with Belial, and what part had he that believed with an infidel, and what agreement had the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I'll walk in them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, say the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. Said the, the Lord God El Shaddai. Having therefore these promises, what promises? That I would be a father to you, I will be the Lord God Almighty to you as my son and as my daughter. Having those promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. And the word spirit has to do with that intellectual force that is inside of us more than it is your born again spirit. But that's another lesson. But let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. How? In the fear of the Lord. Perfecting holiness, consecration, and completeness 
in the reverential fear of God. Let that reverential fear of God bring about that maturing. Bring about that, that bring us into that place where God himself, the Holy Spirit, has dominion, has lordship, have rule, have government over us. Amen? The spirit of the fear of the Lord. They walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Glory to God. Now the whole book of Malachi is an interesting book. The whole book of Malachi has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. In fact, there is more about the fear of the Lord in Malachi than any other book in the Bible. Amen? And I think that's interesting. That's also the book about tithing. <laughs> Amen? But that's also the book that mentions the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6 it says, A son, says son. Remember we were just reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the last verses and verse 7. Having these promises that God says, I'm going to be a father to you. I'm going to, be, I'm going to show myself as the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to show myself as El Shaddai, your son and your shield, your exceeding great reward. Having these promises that I'm going to be this father to you, that I'm going to, that I'm going to be almighty to you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to have you walk and be and experience what it is to be my son and my daughter. Remember that? And he said, because of that, let's perfect this holiness through the fear of the Lord. Here in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6, he says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? What is, this, what is this happening here? It says, first of all, this issue of the fear of the Lord says that somehow we got to function as a son. At the same time, we must also function as a servant. And as a son, we ought to honor the Father. Hallowed be thy name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So as a son, we honor him. We reverence him. As, and as a servant... We all to be, we have a fear of him as a servant, we are in obedience to him. Because the servant does the will of the master. Isn't that right? By definition. Hallelujah. So as a result of that, here we see son, we see being a son, we see being a servant, we see honoring him as a father, we see reverence him, reverencing him and having the fear of him. But then we see in that the issue of obedience, the issue of serving him. And the issue of obedience comes out in the New Testament in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Glory to God. Reading from verse 13. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Think straight. Think right. Think like God. And hope to the end for the grace that is going to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as the, at the revealing and the unveiling of, the, of this Christ that is in you. And as obedient children, obedient what? Children. You see children, son, daughter, obedient. Not fashioning yourself according to the formulas in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. There is that word holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. All manner of conversation, thinking, speaking, acting, attitudes, actions. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's be in harmony, is what it's saying. How can we walk together except we be agreed? And if you call on a father who without respect of persons, 
Judge it according to every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. The Amplified says, Conduct yourselves with true reverence throughout the time of your temporary residence on the earth, whether long or short. Amen? Pass your time in the fear of the Lord. Again, what are we talking about? We're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Here comes multiplication. And with that fear of the Lord, this walking in the fear of the Lord has to do with walking through, walking as a son, walking as a servant, reverencing him, honoring him, um, magnifying him, being obedient to him. Hebrews chapter 5. And Jesus, it, 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 there is no greater example than Jesus. Even though he was a son, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Romans 1, 1 and verse 4. Now here in Hebrews 5 and verse, and verse 8, though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, which is saying no to his flesh, be, say, saying, saying no to self. And being made perfect and mature, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And this is your obedience. Going back to verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. Jesus was heard in that he feared the Father. We read in Isaiah that he delighted in the fear of the Lord. He had the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and all of that on him. And he had the spirit of the fear of the Lord, but his delight was in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11. Amen? And because of that, he was of quick understanding. So his delight was in the fear of the Lord, and he was heard because he feared God. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and he was made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation to all them that will walk, obey him. Amen? Say obedience. obedience. Hallelujah. So, Let's, so, so what does this reverence of God, what does this walking in the fear of the Lord look like? Well, we see a little bit of it. Son, servant, obedience, reverence, holy. But here's another aspect. The issue of what is your attitude towards the word of God? What is your attitude towards the word of God? Job chapter 23 and verse, you can write this down, and verse 12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have esteemed and treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's how I value the word of God. Psalms 112 and verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. There is a delight in the word of God. He magnifies the word above all else. Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. He magnifies the word of God. Psalms 138 and verse 2 says, God says, I will magnify my word even above all my name. He puts the word of God on such a high pedestal. Let God be true. The, the, the integrity of God. 
they, 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 um, they, what is the, what is that word? From, uh, from, um, the immutability of the word of God from, from Hebrews chapter 6. Amen? Proverbs chapter 13. And verse 13 says, Whosoever despises the word shall be destroyed. He that thinks little of the word, he that doesn't magnify it, but deals with it as if it is just the word of a man and belittles it, he'll be destroyed. Meaning what? But don't forget, my people are destroyed for what? So that belittling of the word puts, the, puts you in the pathway of who? The destroyer. But he that feareth the commandment shall be what? Rewarded. Well, that makes sense. The one that will reverence the word of God will be rewarded. But for one thing, when you reference the word of God and you delight in the word of God, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith believe that God is and that he is a what? Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. But that's attitude. So there's a reverence of God, of the word of God. And that affects the way you speak. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Malachi chapter 3. Glory, glory, glory. Let me just read it all the way from verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That, you may be, that it may be meat in my house, and prove me now, here it say the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. <laughs> and pour you out a blessing. That by itself is not... not in, anyway, let me skip that. <laughs> no, I can't go up there now. Verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, said the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, said the Lord of hosts. Now don't forget the very process of tithing, as it, is, as it, is, as it says in other places, Deuteronomy 14.23, and I think Psalm 76. The very process of tithing is one that is demonstrating your reverence and your honor of God. Amen? So, and so it goes, and God says, I will, I will rebuke the devourer, and, 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 and if all of this nation was obeying me in this manner, all the nation, they will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, say the Lord of hosts. But your words have been stout against me, say the Lord. Your words have been stout against me, You've been, you, in other words, you've opposed me with your words. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against you? Well, you have said it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we, make, that we keep his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, that they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. But then they, is it, in other words, that was some long talk. But look, listen to the ones that, that, that fear the Lord. But they that fear the Lord, they spoke often. Often, say often. One to another. And the Lord hearkened. And the Lord heard it. 
the Lord listened into their conversation. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and taught upon his name. Yeah, when you see the word of God dwelling in them richly, they're so magnifying the word of God, it permeated their thinking and it affected their conversation. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spared his own son that served him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. Now God says that is a basis by which you can discern who is really living as the righteous versus those who are living as the wicked, which is like a wicker furniture slightly twisted. Between him that serve God and him that serveth not. Amen? And he connects up this right talking to the fear of the Lord. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. Because after all, it says in Psalms 34, I will teach you to fear the Lord. I remember verse 11. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from speaking guile. Amen? And in, and in Jeremiah, I'm just going to pour some scriptures on you. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16 says, Thy words were from the Lord and I ate them. And your words was unto me joy and rejoicing of my heart. Amen? Your word was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Verse 19 goes on to say that if you would separate, if you would take forth the precious from the vile, and so that your mouth, then, your, then shall you be my mouth. In other words, God says that if you would make a separation between the words that are vile and the words that are right, the words that are for me and the words that are against me, if you will learn to talk right, God says, I'm going to trust you with my power so that, I will, so, that, so that your words, so that you will be as my mouthpiece, so that when you speak, it will be as if I spoke. Amen? That's what Jesus operated in. Amen? The Bible says Jesus had the Holy Ghost without measure. In John chapter 3 and verse 34, why? For he had... For, for whom God had sent, speaking the words of God, and God giveth not the Spirit by measure. He only spoke what he heard the Father say. Amen? Hallelujah. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, that a wholesome tongue, when a man talks right, it's a tree of life. But if he talks wrong, it becomes a breach in the Spirit. It becomes an open door for the enemy. Therefore, let the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart be acceptable in his sight. Therefore, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace unto the hearers. Therefore, let your words be seasoned with salt. Hallelujah. Amen? Proverbs chapter 8. And, and I must, this, this, it sounds like if somebody, you're going too far. But the word says, Proverbs chapter 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in my lips. Mm -hmm. But as Proverbs 8, verse 8. Proverbs 8, verse 7, for my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. What am I saying? We are talking about what they that walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Walked in the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. So there's an issue of, 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 of um, reverence for God. There's an issue of talking right. There's an issue of worship. Worship and regarding God and honoring Him and giving Him glory and giving Him praise. The Bible says one of the reasons why some people ended up having a reprobate mind in, in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 21 because when they knew God, they didn't give Him glory. 
Neither were they thankful. And they became vain in their imagination. And their hearts, their foolish heart became darkened. Next thing you know, they ended up in a place where they ended up having a reprobate mind. What is that? And it all started out by not giving God the credit, the honor, and valuing him in their lives. Not giving him glory. Amen? Part of worship is giving, the thing about worship is, is, the, is the very framework of worship is giving God glory. The honor that is due him. The fruit of your lips giving thanks unto his name. Psalms 112 says, blessed is the man that, that delighted greatly in his commandments. And it speaks about a man that feared the Lord in one translation as the man that reverences, praises, and worships and magnifies God. Abraham was a man, the Bible says when Abraham obeyed God in offering up Isaac. And Abraham had said, when God tell him, go offer up your son, Abraham said, me and the boy are going to go yonder and worship. He called it worship. Amen? And then when, when he was about to kill his son, and the angel says, don't do it, because now God knows that you fear him. So the fear of the Lord was connected up with worship, which was connected up to his giving. Mm. Amen? Worship, hallelujah. The Bible says in, in, in Proverbs 19 and verse 30 that we are to reverence his sanctuary, which means what? We are to have a respect and an honor and an awe for the very presence of God. Hallelujah. And especially when it is manifested. And when it's not, we can have a sensitivity that will even cause it to be manifested. Amen. Amen. Psalms 5 and verse 7 um, says what? But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy, and in thy fear will I worship towards thy holy temple. So it means within the house of God and in our personal life, there needs to be that spirit of the fear of the Lord hooked up to your worship and to your praise and to your magnifying and to your glorifying God. Amen? And then there's the issue of purity. The Bible says in, in, in 1 Peter 4 verse 1, to arm yourself with this mind, to live the rest of your life, not for the will of men, not for the flesh, but for the will of God. And it called it saying no to the flesh. Exodus 20 verse 20, God says, I put my fear in them that they sin not. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2 and 3, God says, I'm going to purify the sons of Levi so that they can offer unto me a sacrifice that is well acceptable in my sight. And that is talking about the church. The Bible says, in, in, in I think it's 1 Peter 4, verse 17, that judgment must begin in the house of God. Meaning what? Correction, proper alignment must begin in the house of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, right through to 23, where it says, in a house, there, is, there, is, there are vessels of silver and gold, there are vessels of wood and, 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 and so on and so forth, and brass and etc. But God says, if you purify yourself, first of all, it started off by saying, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, um, that the Lord knows them that are his, and, and, and that, we, and that um, what does it say? I'm right nearby here. It says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there is also of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man there, but it doesn't say that you are this kind of vessel or that kind of vessel. Oh no, you are a vessel of dishonor. No, you are a vessel of wood. No, it says if, if a man will purge himself, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work, etc., etc. Again, what are we talking about? Purity. 
And then there's the issue of relationship. Where the Bible says, submit yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord. Even to the authorities in the land. Into leadership. Whether it be the leadership in the local church. Or whether it be the leadership in the family. Whatever the case is. Or in the workplace. Do it as unto the Lord. Not as one of you. In the name of Jesus. For the remission of sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. Is not is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized the same day, and they were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfast in what? The apostles' doctrine, in the word, in fellowship. The Bible says, forsake not the, the, the assembling together of yourselves. And in the breaking of bread, communion, that's a good place to stay. And in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the, by the apostles. And we're going to come back and look at this. What was going on that created this atmosphere? And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all. And every man, as every man has need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meal with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. So there was a spirit of unity. There was a spirit of love and care for one another. There was a, there was a, there was a spirit of giving. As we see in the book of Malachi, they are having all things in common. The Bible speaks about in Acts chapter 10 that, that Cornelius, a man that feared God, and he gave alms often to the, to the people, to the poor. And it even goes on to say in Acts 10, 31, that Cornelius' giving came up as a memorial before God. So we think it doesn't matter what we do with our giving, it does matter. It does matter. It came up as a memorial before God in, in Psalm 76. I'm not going to finish this today, but I want to get to a certain point. Psalm 76, verse 11. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. It's a demonstration of the fact that we fear and reverence God. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 23 says... And they shall eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tide of thy corn and thy wine and thine oil and the first things of thy herd and of thy flocks that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So even the process of tithing teaches the fear of the Lord. It teaches you to honor God. It teaches you to, to trust God. It teaches you to reverence God. It teaches you faith. Amen. Amen. It teaches, it, it teaches. Now, do you have to tell? No, you have a choice. But it's a good choice to make. Amen. Right. Anais and Sapphira, the reason why Anais and Sapphira fell dead is because they come and they try to cheat. And by so doing, lying to the Holy Ghost and everything else, they were, they were disrupting that spirit of unity harmony, one accord that the church was born in, they were a threat to that spirit. 
and it was not acceptable, and they dropped dead. Amen? Now, today, they aren't dropping dead because today, they have too many Anais and Safaris. The whole church will be dead. <laughs> right? No, no, in the sense that, in, in the sense that it is, in the sense that there isn't that level of the fear of the Lord so that if someone comes, they're not disrupting something that is all, they're not disrupting a, a spirit of accord and unity and agreement and giving and generosity and people having all things in common because that's not the case. So what are you going to do? Kill everybody? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry about that. And then we see in we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 21, when they were when they were threatened not to speak anymore in that name. Acts chapter 4, read it from verse 21. So when they had further threatened them that they and let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all the men glorified God for that which was done. That was the the, the, the layman had got miraculously healed. For the man was about 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was, was had taken place. And being let go, they went to their own company. They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by thy mouth of thy servant David has said, why did he eat rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatening, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, and stretch forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, and the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness, and the multitude of them that believed were of one accord and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace, great grace, great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and the distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, etc., etc., etc. Amen? So what do we, what do we have here? We, we, we see here, first of all, there was a boldness that was present in that church. There was a zeal for God. There was a word level. They, they, were, they were daily in the temple, from house to house, feeding on the apostles' doctrine, feeding on the word of God. Colossians 3.16 says, the word of God was dwelling within them richly. There was a love that was that was real, a love that was tangible, a love that was sincere. First Peter 4, verse 8, because Peter witnesses all. He said, let us have fervent love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers the shortcomings. Love doesn't find all the faults and pick them out and brings people's sins up and bring condemnation. Love is not like that. And then there is this giving spirit. And then there's the issue of trust, glory to God. Hallelujah. The trusting, the Bible says in Psalms 31 and verse 19, about they that trust the Lord, that, that, that fear the Lord and they trust him. Let me close with this 
scripture here. Jeremiah chapter 17, reading from verse 5, where it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusted in the man, and make it the flesh his arm, and whose heart departed from the Lord. Now that same thing is described in Proverbs um, 29-27, where it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but they that trust in the Lord shall be blessed. They will be happy. Because the fear of man is the opposite to the fear of the Lord. Trusting in man versus trusting in God. And it says, and it goes on to say in Jeremiah, that he shall be, the person that is trusting in the arm of flesh and, and, and in a, an other human being, will be like that shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places of, in the wilderness, in the salt land, not inhabited. But blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. The fear of the Lord looks to God. The fear of the Lord trusts God. He shall be like a tree planted by the, by, by the, by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the rivers and shall not see when heat comes. Storms may come. Things may happen, but he can escape it. Because her leaves shall be green and shall not, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Amen? So, just... Just be just going to stop there for now. So there are all these things that, in other words, then, if we are going to walk in the fear of the Lord, then we have got to endeavor to do what? To be as sons, to be as servants of the Lord. We got to be determined to, we got to have that reverential fear and awe and respect and honor for the word of God. We've got to talk right. We've got to keep our mouth in line with the word and with the truth. And, and with the sacrifice of Christ, we have got to have a reverential praise and worship in our lives and reverence for God. And that's got to be part of our lives. The issue of purity, our relationships, walking in submission, walking in unity, having boldness, having zeal, having a, doing, doing what is necessary to keep your word level up. Endeavoring to walk in love, being generous, being gracious, learning to give. Giving to God, to the work of the Lord, giving to one another, having trust and confidence in God. Amen? So it's going to involve those things. And then we're going to go on and see what is it to also walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that as we put these things together, not only in our own lives, in our own personal lives, we're going to see greater growth, more increase. We will get the benefit of, of being edified and built up and, and, and the spiritual progress. But I believe we will also see that in the local church as well. Amen. So let's finish this up next week and let's stop here for now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. You receive this? Father, we thank you, Lord. Say, Lord, I receive. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. Let it rest upon me. Let it dominate me. In the name of Jesus. And may the Holy Ghost. And his ministry. To me. In me. And through me. Take over my life. And work this fear of the Lord. Deep within me. May it permeate me. In Jesus name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God.